It's Sunday morning. We're here to fellowship. We're here to praise and worship. And we're here to be fed by the word. Who's ready for that this morning? All right, let us open up in prayer. If you would all please stand. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we come before you just to give you thanks, Lord. Thank you for this day. Thank you for allowing us to come here once again into the sanctuary, Lord. We are just so grateful for who you are, Lord, and what you do in our lives, how you protect us, how you provide for us, how you just give us provision, Lord God, to make it through each and every day. We're just grateful to be able to come together once again, Lord God, to praise and worship you, to honor you, God, and to receive your word, Lord. We pray that we are fed spiritually, that we are going to be able to receive your word with a joyful heart, but also help it to convict us, Lord, and help it to be applicable in our lives so that we may go out into this world, Lord, representing you. We are grateful once again that we're here. Be with us on this day. There are those that are not physically here with us, Lord. We pray that they are able to receive your word and be able to have that devotional time with you as we all need it, Lord God. We pray in the mighty name of Jesus and give thanks. Amen. Amen. All right. So is everybody ready this morning? Are you all ready? Yeah. I, I'm ready. I'm ready. So we are ready to begin. All right. We're here to praise our God, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All right, put your hands together. Because he gives us joy. Give me that joy like a river. Mercy. You give me that mercy I never deserved. And that love. You give me that love, nothing better. That sweet peace. Give me that sweet peace like never before. There's nobody like God, like God. I'm talking about my God, my God. There's nobody like God, like God. I'm talking about my God, my God. You give me that joy. You give me that joy like a river. You give me that mercy I never deserved. You give me that love, nothing better. You give me that sweet peace like never before. There's nobody like God, like God. I'm talking about my God, my God. There's nobody like God, like God. About my God, my God. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
to me. Is the Lord good to you? Yes. Amen. Amen. Is the Lord good to you, Jonathan? Yes. All right. The Lord is good. And because he is good, the one main focus that we should have is that he loves us. He loves us. Thank you, Lord. Unconditionally. Each and every one of us. And so we're here today to let him know that it's all about him. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. So let us come together. Let's have our hearts and minds clear. Let's take a moment to praise and worship and honor our Lord. Yeah. 
Solid word. So glad to have everyone here. So glad for our worship and our praise. We went from high, that thing was flying, wasn't it? And we came down and just settled our hearts, both in worship. And I praise God for our praise team. Thank you guys as we continue to move back into um, praise inside. We thank God our first month um, is about on us. And so thankful that we've been able to make that move. Um, we're going to hear the word in just a moment from um, our elder Charles Wright. We have a few things that we want to be able to um, just to share with you, and then we have a prayer time for one of our own who's going to be transitioning. And so um, just want to do that before we move further. Just first of all, as um way of announcements, we do ask those of you guys who are members and you get our email, we Really, really need you guys to make sure that you are registering for our service because that helps us 
um, that helps us to know our numbers. It helps us to gauge if we're more than um, what we plan for to properly social distance. And so um, if you can, please just make sure um, that you, um, even if you do like four in advance, that's fine. You don't have to do it every week. Um, it'll actually let you do more. And that way uh, we can have a good gauge for who and we know that we'll have room for those that want to visit that do not get the link um, or get the email. And so if we can ask you guys to do that, it would help us greatly. Um, <clears throat> also, just by way of announcements, um, one of the things for the clinic that's coming up this month in October, we are um, uh, they are going to be um, administering flu shots um, on the 24th. And you do need to sign up for that. Curtis, I am correct. And so I know that you can either call or you can go to the website for Rafi and that you can uh, make sure that you register for your flu shots. Um, and so if that if if you are planning on getting one and um, and you're not sure where um, ours uh, is at no cost, am I correct? And so um, for the clinic, it is at no cost. So on the 24th, um, just let you know for those who I mean, for those of us who are here and uh, um, for those of us who reside in Pike Township as well, um, that you can come and make sure um, uh, that you have that happen as well. So just looking forward to that. We are going to be doing a modified version this year of our trunk or treat. Um, it is something that we, <clears throat> yeah, it is something that the community has come to expect. They look forward to it. It is, and because it can be outside, we are. Here's how we're going to do it, just so that you guys can know. It is still going to be on the 31st. The 31st is on a Saturday this year, praise the Lord. And so with that, we're going to move it up in time. Instead of having it in the evening, it will be outside, but we're going to have it during the day in the afternoon. So we're looking to have it from two to four um, um, at that time. And we still need and want cars. We will have everyone spaced properly. We will give some details as to, as, as to um, and some suggestions as to how candy is to be distributed. We will not be inside at all. Certain things that we have done uh, will not happen. We won't have the games. Um, we are still working on having the music um, uh, with the cars. And so we do want you guys to sign up for that. We can mask up as we give candy um, to kids in the neighborhood. From what I understand, they're also trying to do the food that we've also done because they can actually make it and box it up, which is what we did last year. We actually boxed it up and let people just take one on their own. And so there are some things that we can still do and that we're looking to do. So um, please come to sign up with that, but also please just be prayerful um, as to how we're going to be involved. And so just wanted to put that out there. That is going to happen um, as we uh, um, begin this month. <clears throat> and for us to plan and prepare. And as always, continue to pray for us as we move forward um, in, in how and um, what we do and in how we deal with all the adjustments and changes that we continually need to make. Uh, still be in prayer for all of us. Thank you guys that continue to come out in person. Thank you guys for continuing to tune in who are watching us by live stream. And we're gonna we're gonna continue to praise the Lord. We do want to, before we, uh, before we get into our word, we want to have a time of prayer, but more specifically at first, we're going to have a time of prayer for someone. 
uh, <clears throat> this October 6th, one of our own, um, who has come through our youth ministry and all, he will be transitioning into the military. Um, uh, he will actually be going to basic training um, with the Air Force, and um, we are going to pray for him as we send him out. We are, um, we are looking forward to God using him as he heads down to San Antonio for basic. As a matter of fact, what we are already going to do, for those of you who remember Daniel Morgan and his family, when they moved from here, he moved to be chaplain at the Air Force Base in San Antonio, which is where Christopher is going, which is where Chris is going. And so we are excited that they can make that connection um, and has someone um, that knows Solid Word and the folk here. So I'm going to ask Chris if he can come on up. Um, if the family want to join him, you guys sure can. They're going to come up and stand right in the middle. So Chris Warner is joined by the family. Uh, 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 my brother, young Chris, I always get this mixed up. Are you Christopher Warner Jr. or the third? Always miss that. Second. Okay, he is the second. All right, he is the second. He's like, no, nah, man, let me call me Jr. <laughs> That's okay. <clears throat> In other words, you belong, you belong dad right here. And so <clears throat> one of the things that we are excited about is that we know the grounding that this brother has as he is getting ready to leave to serve our nation um, in the military. We know the, <clears throat> we know the training that his family has given him. We know the training that this ministry has given him. Um, but we also know what he's been exposed to as far as the word of God is concerned, um, um, how he is to walk. And we, in, in, and we trust that God will bring back to his mind all those instances and other things that are needed as he transitions on into this stage of adulthood. And so we are going to be praying for safety. Um, we're going to be praying that he learns all that he needs to, um, that he is in a position to honor God with his life and to help others to know who God is as well as he is there. So if I can ask us just to stand, we're going to pray for this brother and his family um, as well um, as they launch um, one um, out of their out of their sight, but not out of God's care. <clears throat> Father, thank you so much, Lord, for your love and for your compassion and for your caring. Uh, um, Lord, thank you that you have allowed us to be a part of this brother, um, Christopher Warner II. Thank you, Lord, that we you have allowed us to be a part of his upbringing, Lord, that you have given us an opportunity to be blessed by him, to pour into him, to see him, to grow and to develop. Lord, thank you how his family of God has just introduced Christ to him, modeled it before him. And now, God, that they would leave knowing that, God, you've got him. Thank you, Lord, for all that he has learned, the things that he's been able to pick up and the things that he has yet to learn. I pray, God, that as he transitions, as he goes into training, Lord, that you indeed would be a front and center in his mind and in his life. Lord, that he would see Lord, all that you have allowed him to see over these years and how it plays into who he is to be in this next phase. <clears throat> we pray, God, that he would continue to honor your word. Lord, I just pray that as he 
um, as he moves forward and as he learns and as he makes decisions and as he is put on assignment, Lord, <clears throat> that indeed it would be according to your will and that, Father, he, he would constantly seek you. I pray, God, that as him and Daniel make a connection, Father, that it is one that will be helpful and that will be encouraging. I pray that, Lord, that the skills that he learns <clears throat> are uh, able not only to help him uh, and our military, but, Lord, are able to enhance the lives of many. I just pray, God, that he would be one who would glorify you in what he does. Those days in which it's difficult, I pray, God, that he would see your hand in your face. Those days in which it is glorious, I pray, God, that he would realize that it was from your hand. And so, Father, as he leaves, I pray that you would settle his heart and his mind. Lord, you would allow him to serve with grace and with dignity. Lord, you would allow him to serve um, with fervor and, oh God, with a true heart, Lord, that comes from one, oh God, that allows himself to be used by you. And so we commit him to you. Thank you that you've allowed us to be a part of his life and him to be a part of this fellowship. We praise you and we thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So my brother, as you go, go with God. We are, we are praying for you. Out of sight does not mean that we're not praying for you, that we are. And um, we're going to be looking for updates from mom and dad that mean that you're going to have to update them. <laughs> <laughs> so we can hear what's happening. You know, look, I know I got one that's going too. <laughs> and so we get updates. And so look, God bless you. We are excited for you. Go with God. Thank you guys. <clears throat> you guys can remain seated. I just want to pray for us that as we get into the word, remember we are continuing to go through this series, Gospel Shaped Mercy which is part of a greater um, series that we've been doing called The Gospel-Shaped Church. And we've been hearing about how mercy and how justice is such a critical part of the, of, of, of the believer's life, of the Christ follower's life. And this morning, we're going to be hearing another part of that and how it plays into how we are to be the most merciful and the most just people on the earth. Why? Because we have received that justice and that mercy from God himself. And so we turn and give what we've been given. And so understand that this is not some sort of accessory to who we are as Christians. It is critical to who we are as believers. And I'm looking forward to enjoying the word um, as my brother shares. <clears throat> um, let's just pray and then we'll be hearing from him. Father, we thank you that we get to hear the word again. Thank you, Lord, for this corporate worship. Thank you for this time together. I pray, God, that indeed as we hear this word, Lord, that you would strengthen my brother, Lord, what you have given him to say. May it be saved. I mean, may it be said with passion. May it be said with precision, Lord, so that we would hear and that, God, we would respond. I pray that indeed, God, those things, those points, those illustrations, Lord, would point people toward who you are and what you want us and who you want us to be. I just pray, God, that we would not just say it was another good message, but indeed we would hear from you and respond. Father, I pray that if there are any this morning that are in our audience or that are watching us, God, that are discouraged, that are down, that are, are, that are despondent, Father, that they would look to you and look in your face. Father, for those that need your healing touch, I pray, God, that they would find it in you. 
Father, for those that need a Savior, I pray that they would see that you are the only Savior and that, God, by putting their trust in you, it will transform, it will change their life. I pray that you will strengthen my brother as he comes to speak. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you, Pastor, for that prayer and good morning, solid word. And it is uh, like David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Uh, and we take those things for granted. I know we get up and the alarm clock goes off and we think, um, oh, man, it's early or uh, what am I going to do this morning? Do I feel like getting up and making our way here and whatever challenges we may have run into? But, but just this morning, as I was leaving from my house <clears throat> and headed around the corner of the neighborhood, I had to turn back around and go out the other way because there was an ambulance and a fire truck and they were carrying a stretcher into a neighbor's home. And I was just struck in that moment about how that night when they went to sleep, they had no idea what the morning held for them. So I said a prayer for the family as I was turning around and making my way here, but it did. It just struck me on how, how, how we take for granted that we will just come and we will just do and we will just go and we will just have and we will just experience when we have no really, no idea, no sense of what the next day holds, what the next hour holds, what even the next minute holds for us. So what is that? Is that, should we be all gloomy? Should we be all scary? No, we should be grateful and thankful, right? For every breath that the Lord gives us, right? That's why the scripture says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. There's an, there's an implication there, right? That if you're able to praise the Lord, that means you're still living, you're still breathing, you're still uh, able to do so. And so we praise God, not just because um, whatever has befallen that family that I talked about didn't befall us, but we praise him more importantly for who he is. And that even if that was our situation this morning. He still has us. He still is able to hold us. He's still able to keep us. Actually, he keeps on keeping us. And so that kind of faithfulness, that kind of love, that kind of grace should be recognized. It should be extolled and it should be thanked. And so we do so this morning not out of compulsion, not because I say so, not because it's the right thing to do, but because he is God and we recognize him as such. Amen? Amen. Amen. I just wanted to share that a little bit. Pastor, uh, thank you for this opportunity to come alongside you and preach in the series. And just like Pastor said, as we continue to move through the uh, series of the gospel-shaped mercy, today we're going to be looking at love. Uh, as, and uh, subtitle, The Heart of Compassion. Uh, and we're going to be uh, taking uh, our scripture from 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 24. Uh, and uh, if you would, uh, just let me uh, take a little bit of time. I'm going to read all these verses, and then we'll go through. But uh, it's not extremely long, but it's important, I believe, for us to kind of hear it all together, and then we'll step through it. 
so starting in uh, verse 11 of 1 John chapter 3, you'll find these words. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. Just as he has commanded us, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Let's just say just a quick word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that is in it. We thank you for the comfort that we find in it, the correction for the encouragement. Now, God, we ask that you would do with your word what only you can do, and that is to make sure it does not return to you void. Send it out so that it accomplishes all that you have sent it to accomplish. Let it change us, let it challenge us, let it convict us so that we leave from here different than the way we came in. God, preach this message through me. Don't let me say anything that is not in accordance with your spirit. Hmm. And God, at the end of the day, let you be magnified and glorified in all that we say and do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the lesson aim really today is, is that the church's love for one another <clears throat> would spill over into the world, and that those who spend time with us would see Jesus in our lives uh, as we love others selflessly and with generosity. Just as an exercise this morning, if you don't mind, and I don't think this is too, uh, too out of line here, I, don't, I hope we won't get in trouble, but if you would, just think of as many songs as you can in your mind that have love in the title. You don't have to make a list, just kind of think of. It can be some of your favorite ones, maybe some that you don't like. Some of you may have thought of Endless Love by Lionel Richie. Love TKO by Teddy Pendergrass. I Will Always Love You by Whitney. No Ordinary Love by Sade. Crazy In Love by Beyonce. That's the way love goes, Janet Jackson. Real Love by Mary J. Blige. Sweet Love by Anita Baker. If You Love Me by Brownstone. When a Man Loves a Woman, Percy Sledge. And I know I, I, you're probably thinking, I hope he gets to mine. I'm, I'm stopping right there. I don't want us too far. I'll be talking and you'll be humming. 
You know, that kind of stuff. I don't need that. I don't need to be competing with that. <laughs> but, right, just in that few minutes, you generated a list, I generated a list, probably some of the same, probably some even different. Needless to say, it's a long list, right? And we haven't even scratched the surface. And do you know what the problem is with the word love? The problem with the word love is that we use it too much. It's overused. Think about it. We use it when we talk about food. I love, and I'm not just an example, I'm telling you, I love these little Debbie snacks called fudge rounds. I love them. They come in a box of eight, I could eat all eight. Gas stations have double-decker ones, I can eat a double-decker one. But we use it when it talks about food. We use it when it talks about celebrities. I love this particular singer. I love this particular actor. I love this particular comedian. We use it when we talk about locations. Man, I love Palm Beach. Or I love the Bahamas. Or I love wherever I'm from. Or I love my neighbor. I love, and we throw it around. We use it when it comes to entertainment. Man, that movie, I love that I love those Star Wars movies. I love those Marvel movies. I love just fill in the blank, right? And we use it, we use it, we use it. Look, we use it just in casual conversation. Hey, would you like to come over? I'd love to come over. Hmm. And because we use it so much, and because we use it so casually, the actual meaning of the word, the gravity of the word, the importance of the notion, the importance of the concept of love becomes watered down. And ultimately, it becomes defined by how and when we use it instead of it being defined by what it actually means. But right there, there's some tension, right? Because when I say um, what love actually means, I'm actually now making an assertion that there is an actual singular definition of love, that there is an absolute standard for the expression of true love by which all claims of love can and should be measured against. Now, <clears throat> I know that in this world that we live in today, in the culture, it is considered arrogant. It is considered offensive. It is considered even insensitive for me to say that there is an absolute standard. We live in a time when everyone is allowed to determine their own truth according to their own experiences or according to what they would have liked their experience to have been. And for me to come along and even suggest that there are absolute truths is not considered kind. It's not even considered loving. Hmm. But I think it is important for me to make a distinction, right? Because the absolute standard of love uh, is not a standard of my own making. It is not born of my own individual experiences. I did not sit down preparing for this sermon and reason in my mind what love is. I didn't bend it and twist it to accommodate my own preferences and my own desires. Instead, it is based, the absolute standard of love is based upon the nature and character of the God of the universe. And it's made manifest in the life and the death 
and the resurrection of his son, Jesus the Christ. And I know, right? I just talked about that what I said creates tension. I know that even my explanation of me having an absolute standard, even that opens up even more issues about my truth claims, right? But the bottom line is this, is that everything can't be true. Every way can't be the right way. And if someone's truth claim is that there is no truth, well, do you see the logical fallacy there, right? Because I'm making a truth statement to say that there is no truth. Except for this truth I just said, I guess, right? Those kinds of arguments fall into place. And so, right, as people of the gospel of Christ, we look to that same gospel as being true, not just about salvation, but also about living in general, specifically in how we should love. So now let's look at the text and looking at the first couple of verses here. In verse 11, John reminds his readers that loving one another is not some new notion. It's not some new notion that's been introduced into the faith. It is not some current fad that he's now sprinkling and adding to the gospel of Jesus Christ, but it is anchored in the commandments given to Moses by God, and it is reiterated in the teaching given to them by Jesus himself. John 13 and 34, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. John is establishing that loving one another is not an option. Let me say that again. John is establishing that loving one another is not an option. It is not something that we can opt in and opt out of, but it is a command, and a command not from the disciples, a command not from the local church. It's a command not even from John, but it is a command from Jesus himself. Not only is it a command from Jesus, but we see that even in the command, Jesus provides guidelines for how we are to love. When he says, just as I have loved you. In essence, Jesus is selling, is saying to his disciples, look, I'm about to leave you guys. And after I'm gone, I want you to love one another. But because I know that each one of you has a different definition of what it means to love someone else, <clears throat> I don't want you to determine how to love. I want you to use my love for you as your absolute standard. Let the way that I loved you, Jesus says, define how you love one another. So standing on this foundation, John goes into verse 12 to present a contrast. And he presents this contrast between the command to love one another and the relationship between Cain and Abel. And I believe that this contrast serves two purposes. The first purpose should be fairly clear, right? And it is that the relationship of Cain and Abel who were brothers, should not characterize the relationship between brothers and sisters in the church. Hmm. There should not be jealousy. 
There should not be envy. There should not be resentment. There definitely should be no murder within the body of believers. But secondly, I believe John uses the example of Cain and Abel to also give a cautionary warning to the believers about what the relationship between the church and the world will look like. Saying in verse 13, in the same way that Cain hated and killed Abel because his righteous behavior, followers of Christ can expect similar treatment from the world because of their righteous behavior. Now, I do want to make a somewhat of a, of, a, of a caveat here, or at least add a little asterisk here. And pastor, you are always careful to do this, and so I'm going to do it as well. This is not cover or, or an excuse uh, for us to be antagonizing as the body of believers. There is a difference between antagonizing and being antagonized. And if you think about it, right, John uses Cain and Abel, and he talks about how Cain killed Abel because of his righteous behavior and because of Cain's evil behavior, right? What we see in that story, if you remember, Abel, when they go to make their sacrifice, Abel doesn't look over at Cain's sacrifice and say, oh, mm, that's what you're about to sacrifice? He doesn't criticize the sacrifice. God ain't going to be pleased with that. Abel doesn't hold his sacrifice in high esteem. Look what I'm giving God and look at what you're giving God. But Abel is just concerned about his act of worship towards God. And And by him just being concerned about his act of worship towards God and living righteous, it causes a reaction in Cain. But Abel is not antagonizing Cain. And in the same way, the church should not be antagonizing the world, actively looking to pick fights. But what we should be doing is actively looking to live right. Let me, let me put something else out there. It's easier for me to pick a fight with someone else about what they're not doing than to humbly submit myself to the God of the universe and let him begin changing my heart. It's, it's the oldest trick in the book. Look, when I was growing up and we were playing the dozens, if you weren't nice with yours, you had to be nice with the redirect. Because if they're coming on you, I got to get it off of me. And if, if pastor's giving it to me, then I got to be, but yeah, but what about Joe, right? I got to get it off of me. And sometimes that's what the church is doing. We, it, it's easier right? To get it off of me and to put it on someone else and then actually feel better about myself. And so we're keeping score the wrong way. Instead of picking fights, we should be looking to live right. Now, John then, right? He keeps on and he hits his readers with something pretty heavy in verses 14 and 15. And if you read through this before, and if you were listening when we read through it, it should have shocked you a little bit, maybe made you nervous. And these verses, right? can be uncomfortable to read and to hear as he wades into the areas that most of us don't like to tread in. And he begins to make some assertions about the salvation of his readers when he says that an indication of whether or not you or I have been saved, an indication of whether or not we've passed from death into life is whether or not We love one another. Hmm. And you may be thinking to yourself, Elder Wright, that's a strong 
assertion, maybe even a strong interpretation that you're making. But again, this is not something that I've come up with. This is not something that I've sat at home and reasoned out. Remember, we looked at John 13 and 34 when Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. But if you keep on reading, verse 35, Jesus goes on to say, and by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. <laughs> so it's not about how often you go to church. It's not about how many ministries you're involved in. It's not about how much you give. It's not about how many Bible verses you've memorized. It's not about how many solos you've sung. It's not about how many messages you've preached. It's not about what you eat and don't eat. It's not about how you dress. It's not about what political party you belong to. It's not about how many years it has taken you to read the Bible in one year. You'll catch that on the way home. But the clearest most direct indication that your name and my name is in the Lamb's Book of Life, the most direct, clearest indication that a change has occurred on the inside that we've passed, as John says, from death into life is that we love one another, not according to how we think or feel, but according to how Christ loved us. So after establishing the command to love, John begins to talk about the characteristics of love. In verse 16, he turns to the death of Christ as the template for the love we should have one for another. And John doesn't mince words. I love this. I love this. I love this. He says very clearly that we as believers know what love looks like because of Christ. We know that it looks like him laying down his life for us. And as such, we should lay down our lives for each other. And look, again, I know what you're thinking, because I was thinking the same thing when I was reading this. And I was thinking, man, that's tough to hear. That's hard to swallow. I mean, I might lay down my life for the folks in my house. Underneath my roof with my same name. But for my brothers and sisters in Christ, surely God isn't asking me to do that. Surely, in this day and age, Deacon McManus, it doesn't take all of that. And look, uh, the truth of the matter is that most of the time, it doesn't take all of that. At least not for us here in America. But rest assured, there are brothers and sisters in Christ all around the world who are faced with having to demonstrate this level of love one for another. Most of us here likely won't ever be put in that position to even possibly, maybe, to might have to die for someone else. But the command is to be willing. And as John moves into verse 17, right, where he says, but if anyone 
has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart to him, God's love does not abide in him. I think that John is doing two things here, right? First, he is acknowledging that, look, not everyone will be faced with a life or death opportunity to show their love for one another, right? But, uh, well, not but, but and, so he gives a more practical kind of example of what this kind of self-sacrificial love looks like. Right? How the body of believers can show love for one another using their worldly goods to meet the needs of others in their midst. But secondly, I think he's also holding up a mirror for us in that if we have a problem with loving people in a way that still allows us to keep on living, then there is no way we would be willing to lay down our lives for someone else in need. Let me say that again. I think what John is doing is he's saying, look, Christ loved us such in a way that he was willing to die for us. None of you might have to be willing to die, but you should be willing to give of what you have to help someone else. And oh, yeah, by the way, if that is causing you a problem, (laughs) then you ain't going to be able to love like Christ loves. So what does that look like? What does that look like practically, right? It, it, it's, it's, it's not just about, man. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to go there, okay? It, it, because it's a practical example right now. In this pandemic, right? There's a, there's, everybody in here has a mask on. But we do know that there are some who believe that, that their right to not have a mask should, should, should overwhelm the need for other people, maybe. I would, I would assert that that's an example of what John is saying here. He's saying, look, if you aren't willing to put on a, just to put on a mask for someone else, then you sure are not going to be willing to lay down your life like Christ died for us. You understand what I'm, And I'm not trying to be political, but I'm just trying to use practical worldly examples because I think sometimes we have a tendency to talk about God things over here and then go back into the world and do kind of what we want to do and how we want to do. But that's not what we've been called to do. We've been called to take the God things into the world in which we live and then live that thing out. And what I'm saying is, is that, is that John, uh, John holds up this example about he who has worldly goods, if you see your brother in need and you close your heart, right? This is the action that's taking place. I know we want to, we, 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 we code things in certain language about rights and liberties, but it's really selfishness that we're exercising. But John is saying, look, if you see your brother in need, but you come up with a reason to close your heart off to them, that's not this kind of love. That's not what Christ did. That's what John would say. That is not what Christ did. That is not what he did for all of us, right? Hmm. And so this notion that John introduces of being willing to lay down your life is not just about the physical life of maybe possibly dying, but it's also about being willing to put to death our selfishness, our self-centeredness, our self-interest, our self-concern for the benefit and the well-being of others. Look, we all know the right answers to give when it comes to loving one another. If I were to take a poll as y'all came in and said, do you love one another? Do you love your neighbor as you love yourself? Yes, I do. 
That's God's commandment. This is not about knowing the right answer, right? But John urges us to not just talk about it, but he urges us to be about it. Our love for one another should not be characterized by cute little sayings, by praying hand emojis that we send back and forth, by posts and by texts and tweets, but it should be characterized by our actions. One to another, we have to ask God to create in us hearts of empathy, to create in us hearts of sympathy, to create in us hearts of compassion. Look, I alluded to this earlier, but we are extremely good, extremely good at being able to find reasons to dismiss the suffering and the needs of others around us. Right? And we use those reasons to get us off the hook of having to do anything on their behalf. We're looking for any kind of loophole right, that allows us to exempt ourselves from loving others as Christ has loved us. Usually, it looks like this, right, where we focus in on some sin in their lives, and then we declare that what's going on in their lives is just them reaping what they've sown. And look... That might well be the case. (laughs) But what does that have to do with whether or not we love them as Christ has loved us? Nothing. There is nothing in John's writing here that preempts, preconditions loving others as Christ has loved you only if they haven't sinned. Imagine... If at the end of his three-year ministry, Jesus concluded that mankind is just suffering from the results of their own sin, they're just getting what they deserve, so I'm not going to die for them, I'll just wait for them to get it together, and then once they've got it together, I'll die sacrificially on their behalf. But I'm pretty sure, Pastor, somewhere in the Bible it says that while we were yet sinners... Not once we got it together, not once we started to turn a corner, not when it looked like we were headed on the right path, when we put our lives back together again, but while we were yet sinners. Let me push it even further. Christ died when no one in this room was even born. So you didn't even look like you were headed in the right direction. (laughs) Man, y'all don't let me preach this thing. Psalms 40 and 2 says, I like this, he brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the old folks used to say the miry clay, (laughs) and he set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. So how dare we now suggest that we have the right to make a judgment uh, about who should or shouldn't be shown the love of Christ. Our hearts should be overflowing with compassion for others because of what Christ has done for us. I don't know about you, but when I look at my feet, I actually still can see some miry clay. So it's hard for me to then look at the miry clay on someone else and say, you don't deserve the grace that Christ showed me because you're still dirty. Oh, he's still working with me, but you got to get your stuff together. 
Thank you, God. Look, and if you want to know what characterizes Christ-like love, I encourage you to spend time in the Scriptures. That's why it's so important to read your Bible. Young people, I'm telling you, read your word. Old people, nobody wants to make eye contact. Older people, I'm telling you, read your word. Is there's life in God's word, but there's also examples. Everybody's wandering around talking about, well, you don't know and you can't know. Yes, you can. It's in his word. He gave it to us for that purpose so that we would know. Not so everyone can stand on a corner and, and pontificate and opine with opinions, but so that we can say, thus saith the Lord and be settled in it. So you want to know what characterizes Christ-like love? You spend time in the scriptures. You spend time specifically in the gospels and you see how Jesus interacted with his followers. You see how he interacted even with those who weren't his followers. But if you just want a really quick and dirty summary, then you can look at 1 Corinthians 13, 4 and 8. And we know this. Look, look, and I'm, I'm, I'm saying we, I'm putting myself in there, right? I mean, because this is what we did. Most of us, you know, you dating somebody, you was in love, you seen anybody, and you writing them a little card, and you thought you was being all godly and everything. Love is patient. <laughs> this, is how, this is how Kenny Morgan was doing it. Love is kind. <laughs> Even with your mask on, Kenny, I know it's you, buddy. I see you. Huh. But we were using it, Pastor, <laughs> like we use those love songs. We thought this was describing the kind of old oh, selfish, fleshly, mostly lust re relationships we was having with, you know what I'm saying, and, call, and calling it love. But this is, look, this is not what you trying to get with them and them trying to get with you, love, but this is the love that Christ showed to us. And it doesn't take long to read through this and you realize that they're not describing anybody that you or I know when it comes to love. Look at this list. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. I'm, I'm, I'm envious already of a love that's patient and kind. I'm already disqualified. Love does not boast. It is not arrogant. It is not rude. It does not insist on its own way. My goodness. It's not irritable or resentful. It, listen to this. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Paul is not describing what we do. He's describing what God did. So we've looked at the command to love and the characteristics of love. Now, let's close with the confirmation of love. In verse 19, John says, by this we shall know 
that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. So what is the this, right? <clears throat> the this that John is referring to. It is what he just mentioned in the previous verse when he, <clears throat> excuse me, when he charges believers, followers of Christ to love, not just in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And what is meant here is more than just letting your actions speak louder than your words, right? And I know that that's, look, there's nothing inherently wrong with that as a cliche phrase, but sometimes those are the, those are the traps we fall into when we kind of use worldly things to kind of then push them up towards spiritual things. It's not about letting your actions speak louder than your words, but it is also pointing to something deeper within, See, John's call is not just to, uh, uh, not to just an outward display of love, but it is also to an inward conviction of love. In deed and in truth. The deeds, of course, are the actions, but the truth is the inward conviction of having that Christ-like love for one another. Not just going through the motions but having genuine compassion. Look, anybody can get in a, on the serving side of a soup line and ladle out some soup to some folk. Anybody can stop and give something to somebody on the side of the road. Anybody can, can see somebody in need and help meet that need. Anybody can help pass out blank. Anybody can do that. The actions, right? are no indication of what's happening in your heart because you can be there and be thinking, when is this over? You can be there and be thinking, I wonder when the newspaper's going to get here so they'll get a picture of me. You can be there thinking, let's make sure everybody got their church t-shirt on so that everybody knows that this is what our church is. You see what I'm saying? On the outside driving by, look at them, loving like Christ. But John says it needs to be in deed and in truth. It is by this, right? These outward displays of love one to another, supported by an inward conviction of truly having love for one another, that John says lets us know that we are of the truth. And this is an interesting thing. It reassures our hearts before God. And continuing with his thought, John moves into verses 20 through 24 with an interesting kind of series of, of statements, right? He describes um, our hearts condemning us, right? <clears throat> but God being greater than our hearts and us being able to then have confidence before God that by loving one another, excuse me, we are being obedient and it confirms that God's spirit is in us, that it abides in us. But what does all this mean, right? I mean, it, 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 it's kind of, it wasn't clear kind of moving through it. Well, if we think about it in the totality of everything that John is saying, John is telling us that if we love one another the same way that Christ loved us, then we know that we have crossed from death into life when we see our actions lining up with a true inward conviction of love towards one another. We know, right, according to John, that the Spirit is truly now at work in us. The Spirit of Christ is at work in us. 
so that in those moments, and those moments come, everybody in here knows they come, that we stumble and fall and stumble and fall and stumble and fall. In those moments, when our own hearts and our own conscience begins to accuse us and causes us even to doubt our own salvation, John is saying that we should look to the evidence of the work of God in our hearts, that work that God has done in redeeming us through Christ, that it manifests itself in love that we have for one another, and that that work is greater than our own doubts and our own uncertainties. And I know that's all kind of twisted up in there, but what, what John is saying, right, is he says, look, you don't measure whether or not you're in Christ's hands by how good you keep the commandments. And that seems a little antithetical because of everything we've been talking about. It's all about being a good person, blah, blah, blah. But if, hmm, as Paul tells us, if, 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 if getting saved, if we weren't saved by our deeds, right? He says that if you weren't saved by the flesh, then how are you going to maintain that salvation according to the flesh? John is really pointing to that. He says, look, your deeds were never good enough anyway. Why do you think your deeds are what you're going to use as your, as your measuring rod for whether or not God has changed you? Now, don't get me wrong. There are changes that come. But the problem with us is that we're ebbing and flowing. We, 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 we stumble and fall. And then what we'll say is, is, is I got to go and work harder. I got to do more. I've got to be better. John is saying, no, focus on the inward work that Christ's spirit, that God has begun in you, that that inward work, right, is what you focus on. And then that begins to manifest some things outside of you. Yeah, you're going to struggle with some stuff. It's not going to always look like you want it to, but you're focused not on the output, because if you get focused on the output, like the old saying is, tell me how you measure me, I'll show you how I perform, then guess what? You'll start doing a lot of extra deeds to make yourself feel better. But John says, don't, don't get caught up on, on the outward stuff. Focus on the inward that God has started in you, that's manifested by not how well you tithe, not how often you go to church, not how much you read your Bible, but it's manifested by if you love one another. John says, and if you see that you're not loving one another, now be concerned. Then be concerned. Because that is a mark of a regenerated heart. There's a lot of folks who can do good deeds. I don't know many that are loving like Corinthians says love. That takes a work of God's spirit. And so then no one thinks that I'm simply saying, if you love others, then you're good with God. Let me be very, very, very clear. This is not a love that you and I define. This is not love as defined by the world. This is not love as defined by songs, by movies, by romance novels. This is not love that is defined by letting everyone do and think and believe whatever they want, whatever with whoever they want and however they want. But this is a love that is based only on the example of the love shown to us by Christ. And as such, it is a love that can only be manifested by us if Christ is in us. 
thus making it a direct indicator for a life that has been redeemed by Christ. Hmm. So as we've discussed previously, our notions of peace and shalom, our notions of justice, our notions of now love should be shaped by the truth of the gospel. Pastor has uh, many times made reference to the idea that for the believer, right, since our new life began with the gospel, then it should also continue according to the gospel. That is where we find our truth. That is where we find our standard, not in politics, not in social media, not in philosophy, not even our own experiences. But if the gospel was true enough to save our souls, then it is true enough to instruct us in how we should live and how we should interact with one another. The best evidence to the world that Christ is real, that we have been given newness of life, that God's word is true, is not in how good we are in the practice and the tradition of church, but it is found in how well we display the love and compassion of Christ to those within the church and to those in the world. Amen? Amen. Uh, let's close out with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the example of love that you gave us in your Son, Christ. We come understanding and knowing that we bring to the table all sorts of preconceptions, all kinds of presuppositions, all sorts of notions of what love is and what love isn't. God, I pray that by your spirit, you would tear those down and that you would rebuild in their place Christ-like love. Break up the stony parts of our hearts that allows us to look at others and close our hearts off to them. God, give us a heart of compassion, so much so that when we see them, we see them as you see them. And then we are then urged and moved to come alongside and help them in the way that you have deemed they need to be helped, to love them in a way that you have deemed they need to be loved. Not just so that we can... Uh, feel good about ourselves, not just so that we can meet the immediate need, but so that we may show them your love and that they would be drawn to a relationship with you because they would say that, look, if God is making people act like this, I want to be connected to that kind of God. If there is a place where people are loving one another to the point that they would even lay down their lives for each other, I want to be a part of that. And so God, change us where we need to be changed. Make us compassionate where we need to be compassionate. Forgive us where we need to be forgiven. Give us, remind us, yes, of the love that Christ has shown us so that then we in turn can show that same love, that same compassion to a dying world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, amen. Look, I, I, it, 
if it wasn't clear, I hope it was clear in everything that I was saying that this love is, is not a love that is born of good intentions, but it's a love that comes only through Christ. And it's not even just by studying him, but you have to have a relationship with him. And so before we kind of get up and run out and say, okay, I'm determined to love like Christ, to love uh, people like Christ love people, you need to make sure that you have been redeemed by Christ first. And so this time is for you. If you aren't sure that your name is in the Lamb's book of life, if you aren't sure that you have accepted, fully accepted, the sacrifice that we talked about, you know, Christ dying, if that's the kind of love that he showed for us, have we accepted that love? Can we say that he died for me? If you're not sure, please see me, see pastor, see one of the deacons, one of the elders after church, and we can spend some time and we can talk with you and walk through that thing with you. If you're watching on a live stream, uh, there will be some information at the end of the program. If you've got some questions, you can email us, you can contact the church, uh, and we would love to be able to walk with you through that to help you understand so that right, you can have that confidence that then allows you now to engage with each other and with the world in a way that reflects back and points back to the God that we serve and the change that has taken place in your life. Hmm. Pastor, anything else before we dismiss? That's good. Look, <clears throat> we will, we will, I'll give you a benediction here, but this, we won't bow our heads and close our eyes. I pray that the truth of God's word would reign supreme in your life. I pray that you would agree with what he says is right and wrong. I pray that you would reflect on the grace and the mercy, the patience, and the kindness, and the compassion that he showed to you, and that that would encourage you to then go and show that same love, that same compassion, that same grace, that same mercy, that same patience to others. May God be with you. May he bless you until we meet again. Amen. Amen. You are now in the hands of our uh, ushers. You've been listening to a broadcast of Solid Word Bible Church located at 4374 West 52nd Street, Indianapolis, Indiana. And if you made the decision to give your life to Christ, would you please share it with us so we can rejoice with you and also pray for you. Again, thank you for joining us and may God continue to keep you until next time.